Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. I started this series called Everyday Saints, and it's about how often our lives of obedience, uh, our lives of obedience to Christ, um, can uh, can be done in in small small ways, but um, they are uh, they 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 are of consequence. Um, it feels like often when we're doing the small things that they don't matter, um, but they, that's not true. Clearly, um, and, and <clears throat> we don't we don't have to do great things in the eyes of the world in order to be obedient to to Christ's commands in our lives. And certainly, that's what that's what Karen was saying. Uh, and so, let me share an example from our from our church family this week. That's that's super fun. Um, so, um, if you're in this story, don't be mad. <clears throat> so. Um, this week, um, my friends John and Robin have been preparing a relative's home to sell. Um, they're preparing the home to sell, and they had some stuff in the relative's home, um, dishes, TVs, furniture, etc., that they didn't need. So Robin reaches out to me and says, hey, let the church family know that there's some stuff that they can come and get, and it's free if they want, small thing. Um, so I reach out to Karen, who sends our emails, um, ask her to put something out to the church family to let them know the stuff is available. It takes time, but again, it's a, it's a small thing. A person who's a former member of our church, um, this is a young mom with three kids, her and her husband are about to move and could use some of the stuff being given away. Um, and she gets the email and is pretty grateful, gets the stuff being given away. And what seems like a small thing to all of us, um, it's not so small to them. Uh, my friend Rex, who happens to be friends with the father of the husband um, in that couple, uses his truck to pick up the furniture and for that couple, and they deliver it to their house. Again, small thing, all those things. Little things done with great love. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. There are many people in our church doing small things with great love that are, you know, we don't know about and we don't notice or you guys don't, you know, but so good job being obedient to Christ in the small things. Um, and certainly when, you, when you're obedient in the small things, then he gives you uh, more responsibility and opportunities to do great, bigger and bigger things. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, in this series, I, want to look at, I wanted to look at people in the Bible who play small roles but in their obedience to God and the smallness is a big deal. One of those people um, is named Mephibosheth. Um, so I'm going to try to go. I have lots to want to say about this. Um, Silver, my daughter and I, we were reading about this uh, the other day and it was just inspiring. And I felt like, man, we got to, I, I need to share this with others. So if I don't, if you don't like what I share, totally on Silver. Um, one of the greatest characters in the Bible is a guy named David. David's the second king of Israel. Some of you guys, some of you guys know that. Some, he's the second king of Israel after a guy named Saul. Um, so David's anointed the king of Israel while Saul's still king. Um, when, it's just when he's, he's just a boy when he's anointed king. So in the ancient world, um, kings didn't like it if you anointed, an, you know, if you were anointed king while they were still king. Um, in fact, it, it could get you killed. 
So once Saul found out that David had been anointed king while he was still king, um, he made it his life goal, his bucket list to, to, see David, to see David killed. So Saul spent a lot of time chasing David, um, and David spent a lot of time eluding Saul. Uh, and, but Saul found himself fighting against God, honestly. In the end, Saul dies in a battle, not with David. Uh, David's not related at all to the battle, and David becomes the next king. But it wasn't that simple. It was a bloody transition. It's a messy transition. Um, so, yeah. In the ancient world, when a new person became king, um, one of the things that they would often do is they would kill everyone related to the old king. So if you were, you were on their side or you supported them or you were blood related, you would get, you'd get killed. So <clears throat> that's just basically, you know, so they doesn't call the problem later. And some of that happens in David's case. So when Saul dies in battle, word gets back to the palace or there wasn't really a palace then. Uh, word gets back to where Saul lives, um, that Saul had been killed. Many of the people, um, so many of the people related and connected to Saul, they start to run for their lives. One of the people who's forced to run for their life is a little boy named Mephibosheth. He's five years old. Saul, um, Saul is Mephibosheth's um, grandfather. Listen to this. He was five years old. Mephibosheth was five years old when the news about Saul came from Jezreel. Um, his nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. So in one day, Mephibosheth uh, <clears throat> loses his grandfather and his ability to walk. Um, he is not having a good day, but escapes with his life. So I, I suppose that's good. Mephibosheth um, goes to a place to hide called Lodabar, 100 miles, like 100 miles from where David's at. And um, life would have been challenging for him. Uh, we've talked before in our church family that, you know, in ancient times, if you're disabled, um, most people, for most people, I mean, that would be like a life sentence to poverty, a life sentence, you know, begging for food. Um, you know, you'd been invisible and people would have considered you useless. Um, the, the ancient world wasn't a friendly place for disabled folks. Um, nearly every job was a job that was a physical job you needed your legs for. So it would have been easy for Mephibosheth to feel like, uh, life's a struggle, um, to, to find a sense of purpose, uh, feeling like he doesn't have much to offer to the world um, or his family. Um, he would have, you know, and certainly, you know, it's very, very possible he would have cried out to God and said, why? Why did this happen? Why did God allow me to become disabled? Um, and, and why couldn't I have just died with my grandfather that day? Uh, Mephibosheth's in hiding for like 16 years and David finds him. David finds him and sends for him. Um, he says, bring me Mephibosheth. So when Mephibosheth gets word uh, that David wants to see him, there's no doubt that he's thinking, it's been a good run. It's been a good run, guys. We knew he would find us eventually. I'm Saul's grandson. David wants to see me dead. David wants to see me dead. Let's go and face this. Let's do it. If this is how it's going to have to be, let's do it. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay honor to him. And David said, Mephibosheth. 
at your service, he replied. And then David says this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Um, it's really, really hard for us to appreciate the emotional roller coaster that Mephibosheth is on right now. Because <laughs> he walks into, by this time there's a palace, he walks into the palace and he walks past all these guys. He's going up to see David and he's like, I am going to be dead today. And this is huge turn of events where he goes from being a dead man walking to a rich man <laughs> in like five seconds. The king's table is, is, is usually reserved for the king's family and his close associates. Um, uh, it's certainly, certainly not a place for disabled, crippled, lame people. That would, have been, that would be a place that they would normally keep those guys away from. And to eat at the king's table once would be a high honor. But David says, for the rest of your life, you are eating at the king's table. As long as you live. And Mephibosheth knew that when he was walking into that palace room with David, that according to all ancient standards, he deserved to be dead. And you can imagine that he, when, when he says that last line, his tears running down his face, he's saying, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? How, does this, how can this happen? And David might say, you're not a dead dog to me. You're my son. I'm adopting you into my family. You are my son. Some of you know that before David was king, he was officially king. He'd been anointed king, but he wasn't official king yet. Uh, he, was a, he had a very, very good friend. His name was Jonathan. And Jonathan just happened to be the son of King Saul and the father of Mephibosheth. And to say that David and Jonathan were good friends is an understatement. Honestly, if you know anything about that, um, I would call their friendship intimate. In our over-sexualized culture, um, every intimate relationship has to be sexual. But the, the, the Bible doesn't say that in regards to this friendship. Um, it, it, it does describe a very powerful, intimate friendship between these two men. So close is their friendship that even when Jonathan's dad, Saul, is out trying to hunt down and kill David, Jonathan's accepted that I'm not going to be king. David's going to be king. And before, before, before David had officially been become king, Jonathan makes David promise. 
said, David, promise me you won't kill off all my kids. When you become king, I know that in the ancient world, this is how it goes, that the, the, the new king kills off all the old. He says, promise me you won't kill off all my kids. And David says, I promise. I promise I won't. And he's making good on that promise by treating Mephibosheth like a son. So I want, to, I, want to, I want us to really, you know, super quick look at some things that we can learn from Mephibosheth's seemingly small role in the Bible, his seemingly small, unmemorable life. Let's see what we can learn from it um, together. First, I want us to see what we can learn about suffering from, 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 uh, from Mephibosheth. So on earth, we almost never understand suffering th- that God allows into our lives. We almost never understand it. We never like it. We never embrace it. We never learn as much as we can from it. We hate it. We complain about it. And we ask the question, why? But, but let me say this. If we allow it, God always always, always has a bigger plan for our suffering than we do. He always has a bigger plan for our suffering than we do. If we allow it, we can learn that. If Mephibosheth is like the rest of us, he cried out to God about his pain and about his inability to walk. And he asked the question, why? I, and so when you think about, think, about, think about what happened. His nurse picks him up. He's five years old and drops him in a way that makes it so he can't walk. Five years old isn't, isn't a fragile part. I mean, how does she drop him so that he can't walk now? It's very likely that Mephibosheth spends some part of his life saying, why did this happen to me? I want you to think about this. The Bible doesn't say this. This is, this is extra. Here's my thought about this. It's very likely that one of the things that that saved Mephibosheth's life is the fact that he can't walk. He's disabled. Because because he was disabled, it would have been much more difficult for him to be seen as a threat to David's kingdom. And maybe God allowed him to be disabled to save his life. Maybe. But he would never know that. If he spent his whole life complaining that he can't walk. John Piper says it like this. Um, he says this. No faithful suffering is ever wasted. No faithful, and again, faithful, that's, that's, the, that's the key, right? No faithful suffering ever has to be wasted. Second, consider this. We learned from Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth's useless life, what we learned about him. Um, we learned about what we deserve. We learned about, we learned about what we deserve. So most, pe- most of us in this life, we are, we're under the impression that we deserve more, we deserve better, right? My kids work in customer service, so I, 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 get, to hear this, I get to hear this. And so those of you guys in customer service, you run into these people all the time, right? I deserve better and I deserve more and you're going to give it to me. Right? And those people are super fun to interact with, right? People interact with just that, just walking into your space. They assume they deserve more and they deserve better and they want you to give it to them. And and honestly, if we're honest, if we get honest, most of us are like this. Most of us are like this. Most of us are like this. 
Mephibosheth understood this. I deserve to be dead. I am the disabled grandson of a failed king. In this culture, what that means is I am dead. And so he's, when he's walking into this room and he's seeing David up there and David's got all the power. He's the most powerful person in the room. He knows I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. We are like Mephibosheth in that we do not deserve anything. We do not deserve anything. We do not deserve anything. The Bible teaches that the consequences for sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Maybe you've heard it that way. The consequences of sin is death. That, now that is what we deserve. That is what we deserve. And Mephibosheth walks into that room. He knew, I deserve to be dead. That's, that's his, he, he didn't walk in there saying, I deserve more. I deserve better. He's not thinking that. Any, and maybe some of you guys might be like, hold up, Daryl. I, I deserve some good things. Hold on, time out. I, I disagree with that. I don't like that. I've worked hard. I deserve this vacation. I deserve to retire. I deserve to be treated better than I'm being treated by my family. I deserve these things. I understand that. I understand that. And that may be true. Maybe you do deserve whatever you think you deserve. But let me say this. You and I underestimate the power of sin. You and I underestimate the power of sin. Let me, let me say it like this. Let me say it like this. Let me, let's pretend that you, um, you work as a bank teller. And you get paid every other week. You've worked there for years. So let's say you work for two weeks. And then at the end of those two weeks, you get paid for your work on Fridays. So let's pretend that you've got done with another, you've almost got done with another set of two weeks and you get to Thursday and you walk, you go home from the, from that, from your day of work on that Thursday and you've, you, you've done your thing. And then on Friday, before you get paid, you attempt to rob the bank. In fact, it's an armed robbery and it goes terribly wrong and you actually end up killing someone, one of your coworkers, somebody you knew. And in the end, you get caught. You get caught. And your coworkers are all stunned that you could do something so awful and so terrible. Um, it, it, it's blowing their mind. And your boss is, is, to say he's angry is an understatement. And he, and he comes up with this idea. He's like, he's, you know what? I'm not giving you your last paycheck. Take that. But of course, you say, that's not fair. I worked for those two weeks, so now I need to get my paycheck. And you say this, I deserve that money. I worked for it. I earned it. You said you'd pay it. And so I deserve to get paid. And so... Yes, that's true, right? You do deserve it. Here's your paycheck. But there's something that's even more true about what you actually deserve, right? 
at best, you deserve to spend the rest of your life in prison. And in some states, you might deserve death. So, okay, here's your paycheck. But the bigger thing about your life, here's what you actually deserve. So, yeah, you might deserve your retirement, or you might deserve better treatment at your work, or you might deserve whatever. But what we actually, what's the truest about you and about me is that we deserve death. The wages of sin is death. The Mephibosheth, when he walks in, he knows it. He knows it. And that's why he responds, what? how could you look at me in the way, how could you treat me like a, I'm like a dead dog. I deserve death. So maybe it's true. Uh, you, you deserve a break after working on your feet for eight hours. It, that, that may be true. But when we understand the power of sin in our own lives, we know that what we deserve most is death. Which brings us to our third thing that we learned from Mephibosheth. It's good. Even though we deserve death, we are given great value by a king. What we know about Mephibosheth's life is basically the gospel. Right? Pastor and author Tim Keller says it this way. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare hope. Mephibosheth, when he's walking in there, he would have never dared to hope that he would be treated like David, one of David's sons. He's just hoping I don't get killed. He's just saying, it would just be super awesome. If he didn't get killed, that would, that would be great. And we can't, we can't appreciate how extravagant David's being with Mephibosheth, but, but we should try. We should try. We should try. You should read a story in 2 Samuel, and, and we should try, because it's a tiny picture of how extravagant Christ has been with us. It's a tiny picture of how extravagant Christ has been with us. Despite our sin problem being worse than we expect, worse than we would believe, and worse than we would imagine, Jesus Christ has shown us kindness and restores to us a standing with him that we do not deserve and cannot earn. And it's similar to this. It's similar to this. Our sin problem is like this. When somebody is doing a surgery on you that they think is a simple surgery and they open you up and you're full of cancer and they, they, they just close you up. And they say, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do with this. our sin problem in our minds is simple and small, like going, oh, I just stubbed my toe, kind of a, so that's bad. But it's really more like cancer. And Jesus Christ shows, shows up to fix it. And we have no hope. And we have no hope. 
Mephibosheth walks in the room and he's given all the land his grandfather owns. And by the words of David, in just a second, he goes from being a, a man dependent on others to take care of him to a, a rich man, an owner of a lot of wealth producing property. And it's hard to estimate how much property that he's given. But imagine, imagine this, imagine um, the, the, the former president, Donald Trump, imagine having all his real estate given to you in one day. Here's all, here's all my real estate, there you go. Here's the thing, what's good, of, what's, good, <laughs> what's good about all that land if you don't have the ability to work the land? Mephibosheth can't walk. So David assigns a former servant of Saul named Ziba and his whole family to work Mephibosheth's newly acquired land for him. David gives him a ton of land and servants to work the land and a place at the king's table. Before I end, I want to say one more thing about Mephibosheth that he teaches us, and it's my favorite. It's the best. It's the best. Around five to ten years after Mephibosheth is given a seat at the king's table, David is betrayed by one of his sons and has to go on the run um, so that his son doesn't kill him. Remember, he kill all your rivals. So David's on the run. He has to go on the run. Much of the royal family is with him out on the run in the wilderness trying to hide from David's son. And Ziba shows up with food and drinks, all kinds of stuff for David and his family. Remember, Ziba is, is uh, the one that David assigned to work Mephibosheth's land. And David asked, David asked Ziba, where's Mephibosheth at? And Ziba says, basically, um, Ziba, um, Mephibosheth betrayed you. He's going to stay at the palace um, and he see if he can establish his own kingdom and get in with your son or whatever. And David says, okay, well, all the land that I gave Mephibosheth now belongs to you, Ziba. And Ziba says, thank you very much. And it's not very long before David's son is defeated and David and his family are returned back to the palace. And one of the first people to meet David when he gets back to the palace is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. And when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth? And he said, my lord, the king, since I, am your ser- since I, your servant, am lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and will ride on it so that I can go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrayed me. So he has slandered your servant to the Lord, my king, my Lord, the king is like an angel of God. So do whatever you wish. All my grandfather's descendants deserved nothing but death from my Lord, the king. But you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table. So what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? The king said to him, why say more? I order you and Ziba to divide the land. Mephibosheth says this. Let him take everything. Now that my Lord, the king, has returned home safely. Mephibosheth's uh, response to David is brilliant. 
Again, can't, you can't appreciate it. We can't appreciate it reading it here. I don't care about the land. I just want you. That is how I want to respond to Christ. I don't care if you give me anything that I want. I just want you. I don't care if I get the job I want, or I get to live the place I want, I get all the food that I want, I get the car that I want, I get to go to college where I want, I get to marry who I want, I get to have all the children that I want, I don't care if I get to retire how I want, I just want you. I just want you. That is where I want my relationship with Christ to be at. And that is where I want your, your relationship with Christ to be at. No matter, no matter if, what, if what's most precious to you in this world gets taken away or you never get it, you will be satisfied with having him. And it will hurt and it will be hard, but it will be okay if you just have him. If you just have him. And let me ask you this. This is a question I want you to answer for real to yourself. Do you want that? Do you want that? Do you want your relationship with Christ to be that? I know that it's not that for many of you, um, and that's okay. Do you even want to want it? Do you want that? I want you to answer that question for real to yourself. Do you want that? Do you want to want Christ like that? You can take everything from me. Just give me Jesus. For those of you who decided you don't want that, or maybe you don't know, We still love you. That's okay. I want to just talk to those of you who decided that you do want that right now. Or at least you want to want it. You're going to need to do a few things. Number one, here's what I want you to do. Pray for it. Ask for it. Pray for it. Pray that Christ would teach you and help you to desire him most. Pray for it. Ask for it. I dare you. I dare you to pray that prayer. I dare you. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. For my people who said yes, that you want that. You need to bet on him. You need to you need, you need to bet on you need to bet on Christ. You need to bet on the Lord. When Mephibosheth heard that David was looking for him, he could have killed himself. He could have went on the run. He could have, there's all kinds of options. But instead of doing those things, he said, "Let's go. I'm going to go in front of David right now to see him at his palace." And what he's doing is he's betting his life on David being gracious. He's betting on David. So that when he gets up there in front of him and David's gracious, he's like, I owe you everything. 
And he doesn't do it once, he does it twice. When, when David comes back from being on the run, he could have said, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to go on the run. I'm going to do it. He says, no. He could, the first thing he does, when David comes up, Mephibosheth's like the first person he sees, he's like, I, I can't ask anything. My, my life's in your hands. He bets on David. He says, I'm going to bet on you. I'm putting all my chips in. I'm betting on you, David. I'm betting on you to be gracious. I'm betting on you to be good. I'm betting on you to be the kind of king that God wants you to be. I'm betting on you. I don't have the right to ask for anything. Do what seems right to you. He's betting his life on him. He bets his life that David might do the right thing by Mephibosheth. And, and, and here's the thing. That is why Mephibosheth feels the way about David that he does. is because he bet his life on him. And David came through for him. And let me tell you this. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Let's just be honest. The reason why we don't feel the way about Christ that Mephibosheth feels about David is because we have never bet anything on him. We have never risked anything on, for him. We have never turned over anything we truly wanted to him and said, you decide, Christ. You decide. That is why we don't feel, we never bet on him. We never said, we never took our chips and said, all in for you, Christ. We come here and we do stuff on Sunday morning and that's cool. We've never said, okay, Jesus, I'm all in, I'm betting on you. So let me, let me, let's say this. How can you bet on Christ? How can you bet on Christ? Maybe there's a job you need to take. Maybe there's a ministry you need to start. Maybe there's a person you need to call. Maybe there's somebody you need to forgive. Maybe there's a command you need to obey. Maybe there's somebody you need to break up with. Maybe there's something you need to do. Maybe there's something you need to say. Maybe there's someone you need to walk up to. Ask Christ, how can I bet on you? How can I bet on you? And when you bet on Christ with something that's important to you, when he comes through, probably not in the way you expected or not the way you, you would have predicted or the way you like or where you would have picked, it will do something to your heart. It will make you begin to desire him in a way that's raw and fresh and new, like Mephibosheth desires David. Take it all. I just want you. So my friends that, uh, who decided that that's what you want, as we take communion together today, I want you to do those two things. One, pray that Christ will help you to desire him most. And then two, ask him to show you how can I bet on you so that I can come to trust and love you more like Mephibosheth trust and loved David. How can I bet on you? What can I risk for you? What can I say? Think about, those, think about how Christ desired you most and gave his life to prove it. And then you, you do those two things. You do those two things. And then let me say this. Let me say this. Back to my, back to my friends, my, my I don't know friends or my no friends who say you don't want that. Again, I love you. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to bring on your parade. But let me say this. 
if you decided that you don't know if that's what you want or if that's not what you want, if, if you decided that you don't want your relationship with Christ to be the kind where he could say, everything can be taken from me, but as long as I have you, that's okay. If you don't want that, you cannot be his disciple. You cannot be his disciple. You cannot be his disciple. If you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people kiss it goodbye, you cannot be my disciple. This is Jesus talking. As your pastor, I don't know if maybe you consider me your pastor or not. That is scary for me, for you. That is scary for me, for you. So let me say this. Mephibosheth's little life, he did, this, he did small things, he did them right. So that we can have this moment together right now and learn from what he's, he's done. Small things with great love. During, as we take communion together today, let me have you pray and think on that decision. Let's pray together. Dear Father, thank you for the life of Mephibosheth. Certainly, he imagined that his life was small and useless and not of much, uh, not of much weight, didn't matter very much. But clearly, that is not true. Small things with great love, small things with great love, small things with great love. I pray as the pastor of our little, our little church family for all the people connected to us. I pray that you'd help them to make the decision that if they lost everything but still had you, that would be okay. And that if they don't want it, that they would want to want it. And I pray that they would, that we would agree to that. We would say, yes, that's what I want. And so we'd start to pray, one, that we would start to pray that you would help us to desire you most. And then second, that you would, you would show us how, how, we can bet our, how we can bet on you, how we can push our chips in and say, we're going to bet on Christ. We're putting everything on Christ. We're going to bet on him. And then for my friends who, who say, I don't know, or no, that's not what I want. I just pray that you would uh, help them to sense and realize the full consequences of that kind of decision. Not because I hate them or don't like them or I want to prove them wrong or anything like that. But that you are trying to teach me to love them like you love them. I pray that you'd make that happen. Help us um, as we take communion together to dwell on that. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I forgot to mention, uh, those of you um, who are here with us in person, if you'd like to take communion, um, the elements, the communion juice and the little cracker are out there in the middle of the um, middle of the lobby. So you can pick that up um, and sit with us here and take communion whenever you're ready. Um, Chris will play for a few minutes and then I'll come up and close this out. Uh, Carrie, would you put um, those questions... uh, back on the on the screen during <laughs> during the uh, drink me thank you
super grateful for Johannes and Chris and their work. Um, the <laughs> if you not know if you need to be musical enough to know the psalm that he's playing um, during your communion talk, uh, I share with Chris like here's here's what I'm talking about, and then they come up with things to kind of compliment. And <clears throat> what, he, what he's playing is basically. Um, has this line in it that says, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Uh, brilliant. Uh, thank you for your work. Here's a quick thought as, as uh, we leave. So um, <clears throat> my friends Elton and Laquita are here. Um, Elton, I've, I've shared with many of you guys before, Elton's one of my mentors. Uh, lots of times, uh, you should thank them while they're here because lots of the bad decisions that I might have made, they kept me from making that now you, don't, you benefit from. Um, so <clears throat> I, I, was, I was talking with them, complaining about someone in my life uh, from 20 years ago. Um, and as I'm getting done talking with them, they're like, you need to, you need to talk to him. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't really want to do that. Um, uh, yeah, to say that I didn't want to do it was an understatement. Um, I try to do what they say. The reason why is because of Christ. And when I when I said when I agreed to, to to meet with this guy to talk with this guy, and again I haven't I don't I haven't, I haven't sat down with him like in twenty years. Um, what I was doing is this. I'm betting it on you, Christ. I'm putting all my chips in on you. Meeting with this person is going to be humiliating or stupid, or I, he's going to be like, what the heck? Why are we doing This is silly. Why are we meeting together? And what I did was I said, I'm betting on you. I'm betting on you to make something of this that I can't make of myself. And it was great. It ended up being a great meeting. That's the kind of thing that I'm asking you to do if you said that you want to desire Christ most, what's Christ calling you to do? And bet on him. Take a risk. See what that means. Thanks for being here. Have a great day. my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my savior on Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.